welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montesi with AFL legend Warren Treadray. We're back after a week off. How are you, Treaders? Going well, Multi. Yourself? Good, thank you, mate. Now, as always, plenty to talk about in the world of sports business. Let's start with AFL. Now, Treaders, there's some developments with the AFL Commission. What's happening there? Yeah, well, for a few years now, well, for quite some time, Kim Williams, who used to be a Foxtel and a News Corp executive, was on the AFL Commission. He stepped away probably a couple of years ago now in COVID. Um, Jason Ball, the former Sydney Premiership player and West Coast player, was on the AFL Commission. He stepped too. So there'd be two spots available for the AFL Commission, Richard, uh, led by Richard Goiter, um, to put, hopefully, what they're suggesting is a former AFL player or an AFL player on their commission. So it's been revealed over the last 24 hours that the AFL is actually, and the commission is looking at um, approaching Geelong captain, current AFL PA president, Patrick Dangerfield, who is actually negotiating a collective bargaining agreement for the players to potentially, you know, is effectively being courted by the AFL to take up one of the vacant spots left by either Williams or Ball on the AFL commission. Albeit, as I said before, in the midst of CBA negotiations. And I seriously can't see how this is a viable option. I think it's an absolutely ridiculous option. And I think if you look at Patrick Dangerfield's last week, from what I see, from the cheap seats, he played a game of football against Port Adelaide. They had a win. He commentated a game on Channel 7, I believe, on the Sunday. Right? He is in the midst of the negotiations for the collective bargaining agreement. Right? And he's got a young family. So I sit there and go, how from a confidentiality point of view can a current AFL player and captain of a club and CBA negotiations sit on an AFL commission? It's got a, it's absolutely baffling for me. So the thought is that the AFL will then approach him once the CBA deal is done. But you've got to ask the question, the two big issues or three big issues that the AFL has dealt with recently is COVID, Right. Before that, the Adelaide Crows salary cap breach and the Essendon drug saga. How would Patrick Dangerfield be in a situation as a current player and a captain of a club be able to do that job? You need independence. The whole idea around the commission is that anyone they want to get on a former player, if they're working media, they'd have to give up their media career. But they think it's wise to go and approach a current player and captain of a club who's running the negotiations against it to get the players the most money or package the best deal they can. And also calls games the odd game on Channel 7. It's just baffling. Like Names like Lee Matthews have been mentioned. Andrew Ireland, who was the former Sydney CEO and Brisbane footy manager. Matthew Pavlich has been floated. Jimmy Bartell for a period of time, obviously with some um, things that have gone on uh, publicly. And uh, he may not be around uh, as a viable option for that. But if you want an ex-player, go and get an ex-player who doesn't have a conflict. Go and get an ex-player who doesn't work in the media, who doesn't have a role at Clubland. Um 
I just find this absolutely ridiculous that this is where the game is at. We're going to approach a current player who's still in the game, who's still connected very much to his footy club, and he's going to expect on the odd day that he has a commission meeting, he has to act independently in the best interests of all parties. He'd be privy to information that no player should be privy to information on. I just cannot get to see how the, the AFL thinks in their wisdom that this would work. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, we've talked about it before. It's almost like the AFL just couldn't care less about conflicts. Like, and again, I think it's holding back the professionalism of the sport because in the real world, in the corporate world, this stuff just wouldn't happen. Can't happen. Yeah, well, that's they've had conflicts, conflicts for years. You know, you, know, you look at um, up until recently, Port Adelaide's chairman was the you know, head media guy and finance guy on Channel Seven. Um, Eddie McGuire for twenty odd years was cat, uh, sorry, uh, president at Collingwood. Used to run the footy show. Um, at one stage, was leading the broadcast rights with Channel 9 as their head commentator. So, yeah, the, the levels of conflicts of interest in the AFL is embarrassing. And, and I think if they really want to take themselves to the next level, they'd want to be able to be in a position where... And I suspect that these commissioners do get paid well, or there is, you know, may not be money, but there'll be a lot of value adds to a stage that they can go to market like any big board and go, we want to get the best person available and make it worth their time. It's no different to Clubland when you go, oh, what a football director. You know, some clubs don't even really have a football director. It's like, what? It's a game of football. Like, why would you have a football director that's, you know, maybe half pay? So, yeah, a lot of these presidents donate their time. So when, when the shit hits the fan, they're the first ones that call. Their own business has to stop their event, and then they go and do their club work for nothing. I think this the game needs to grow up at some stage and start doing board positions where people get looked after financially. Um, so you get the best people in the positions because we've always said for many, many years that if, if we pay what half a million dollars to our prime minister, no decent corporate would even look at it. It's the most powerful job in the country, yet you know, it doesn't pay them probably what they're getting a month in some of their roles. Yeah, that's right. Now, talk, speaking of some of the big movers and the big dollars floating around, uh, AFL coaches, now there's Plenty shifting. It's been a really interesting year for, for AFL coaches. What's the latest with Port Coach Ken Hinckley, Treaders? Well, I'll be honest to say, I've heard a rumour last couple of weeks and was digging a little bit on it that there may only be a one-year deal on the table. Um, that has been refuted publicly by numerous people who are very close to Ken, which has suggested it be a two-year contract extension. David Kosh, uh, the Port President, played things down again last week in an interview in, in Adelaide Media. Um, and because the August deadline is here now, where as a recording, it's August 8th, we're in the first week of August and um, fans are now sitting there going, what's going on? What decision are we making? Well, they haven't come out and said that they're going to put it off to the end of the year yet. Um, if they will, I'm not sure. Ken Hinckley has said for the first time, I really want to coach Port Adelaide ahead of the Geelong game. But they're also in the midst of a bit of a PR issue because after dominating for the competition at 13 straight wins, they've now lost their last uh, five games season so uh no sorry last four games of the season so their form has dropped off and they've got a lot of injuries so i'm not sure that ruby going around was it a one-year deal i found that really interesting the only way that could have ever worked is if there was an handover process but my information suggests that richmond are, are seriously taking a decent look at josh card he's really high up on their hit list to interview so for all the people that are sitting there thinking that it could be a hinkley car combo still at port it could be the case for your coach also if you sign ken you could run a risk of potentially losing Carr because he may want to be a senior coach and understanding that is gen- genuinely on his radar. But it's just whether he's willing to wait a few more years, potentially, 
or jump into it at a big club like Richmond, um, even though Andrew McCorkle has done a wonderful job. Now, what about Damien Hardwick? I mean, he's been in holiday mode, but of course, you know, came out not long ago talking about his interest in coaching again, as we kind of expected. We've talked about it on the show and kind of said, gosh, as a as a Richmond fan, you'd be a bit filthy that already he's been kind of mooted for the next gig, particularly at the Gold Coast. What's the latest there, Treaders? Well, it's funny, isn't it, Lodzi? At the time, you sit there and go, well, maybe he's burnt out. He's walked away from 18 months of contract and, you know, what would that be? Maybe three million bucks, you know, $2 million, something like that, going, you know, he's been a three-time premiership coach. It looks good, but Right now, when you sit back and go, well, he's already interested in returning to coaching. He's flagged that already. He's willing to have a conversation with the Gold Coast. They've gone overseas to Italy to try and track him down and talk to him. And that is Mark Evans, the CEO of the Gold Coast. I'm not sure why they'd need to do that. Like, he's got a manager, Paul Connors. Pick up the phone, table an offer, speak to him, or wait till he gets back from his holiday. I'm not sure this going and chasing him, What that would suggest that, what, they're desperate for him. That would also suggest that maybe he's a bit standoffish. I don't know. If he says he's keen to have a chat, wouldn't you be keen to have a, a, a um, uh, what would you say? You're keen to, you know, to go through the process when you can. Yeah, you know I mean, it's it, it, it's just baffling. And, and for me, when you take it on face value that he's burnt out, well, you're already looking less than, what, 10 weeks later? You're looking at getting back into it? I, I think people see that, this was pretty well orchestrated from a fair way out by particularly the AFL, but definitely the Gold Coast. They made a decision on Stuart Dew after he played the top two teams at that stage, and it was Collingwood and Port Adelaide got belted by both in the second half, and now they've got on the show some decent form. So I think it was all too convenient that Stuart Dew was cast aside, albeit he had six years, but they knew what they were doing. They were going after Hardwick, and they were after Hardwick for a long one, and don't be surprised if they've been into him for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, the the opposite, if it all just was on face value, I mean, you look at Michael Voss, who, you know, they were the uh, leaders at Carlton were true to their word, and they said, no, we're going to stick with him. Uh, and he's got another year, 2024, and, and we've seen a, a massive shift uh, for the Blues. What do you think it means for Voss's future? Well, I think he's sitting pretty because... He was a whipping boy early days, and understandably, because they brought him in for change. It didn't work. They weren't playing well, but they've now won their last seven games of footy. Um, they've been hit by injuries to Mackay and a few of those players, but they started off beating some of the lesser teams in the cop the first two or three weeks. Then they picked off Port, who was second on the ladder. Then not long after, they picked off Collingwood. Um, so all of a sudden, they got seven games where they're, they're, they're playing some really good, attractive brand of football. Charlie Curdo's playing outside his skin. Yeah, you know, Cripps has been great. They've been able to manage their list. There's a few players who are, you know, winning Rising Star nominations. So it just proves sometimes you jump too quick, then uh, things can turn around if you stick sick fat. And, and that's exactly what's happened at um, Carlton. And that's what some would suggest probably has happened at Alberton too, with 13 wins in a row when, when I was pretty vocal early in the season. But, um, you know, I think you know, the way they're looking, this they're absolutely a red-hot chance of playing finals. Um, and the way they're playing, if they're coming from the bottom four of the, the top eight, they're going to do some damage. You know, guys like Voss and also current president Luke Sayers, like they, they've done a really good job just to hold off the, the pressure because Carlton being a big club, and we talked about it, mate, they were copping so much heat from really vocal benefactors. Um, and even, you know, I've just seen that 
that the president, Luke Sayers, is potentially going to ask members if he can stick around into 2025 in that role. And it's quite an interesting one. You might go, well, why Why does he need to ask the members? Well, Carlton has a, has something in their constitution where they have to go through a, a membership process because uh, basically there's a limit on tenure for directors and Sayers has been on the board since 2012. I think he's only been president since 2021, but because of the 2012 thing, uh, his time is going to expire and then I think it's going to have to go to a, a member vote. So just a bit of an interesting one. There's plenty happening uh, at Carlton at the moment. Yeah, also too, remember the Matheson, um, uh, Bruce Matheson's nephew who was on the Carlton board quit after the Sydney game. So... Yeah, I would just believe that there were heated words with both he and the president, Luke Sayers. And right now, you look at what Luke Sayers has done. It looks like they've sort of got their house in order. Um, their players are playing well. They've played out games. And it's amazing what a W can do. You get four points a win. It eases the angst. It takes away all the pressure. And what's probably happened in the other terms is Port Adelaide was fever-pitched angry. And I was part of that when I spoke out. Then they went 13 in a row, a lot of close games. And now they've, last month, they've been belted twice um, by Adelaide and, and Carlton. And then they've fallen short twice um, on the weekend uh, down in Geelong and also Collingwood. And all of a sudden the fans are going, oh, with this good. So the, the fever pitch can change pretty quickly. And hence why I, I get back to the Ken Hinckley thing. I think if they have done a two-year the club's probably looking at the right time to roll it out because it's starting to, people are starting to question where they're at with all their injuries and how well they're going to last in the finals. And let's face it, if uh, they go and sign Hinckley for two more years and they can't get to a grand final, we're in the same situation we are in last year. Now, what about some other player contracts, Treaders? Any any word? I got a text message the other day to say that the Adelaide Crows are going to stay true to Tom Duda. So I had to pick up the phone and ring someone, Monty, and he's a free agent for the Crows. He's a restricted free agent at season's end. There was a lot of mail to suggest that long-term deals would come. He soon after went down with an e-reconstruction. So that was earlier this year. It's believed the Crows are already pretty much tabled a three-year deal to him. And how's this for modern footy? It's believed that they're not going to take, change the deal. So whatever the conditions were at the time before he went down, in good faith, they're going to honour that contract. I think it's a pretty good sign by the Adelaide Footy Club. The other thing too, what does help them is it's only three years. So it's not like it's a seven-year deal or a five-year deal and a guy's done down with a knee and all of a sudden you're going to stick true. Well, my understanding is they'll stick true to the term, three years, and they'll stick true to the money when realistically... All he's going to be doing for the first three quarters of next season is rehab and returning to play. So I think it's a show of faith and he might stay crow yet. Um, still hasn't made a decision on his future, understandably. Um, but I think it's a it's a good show of faith by the Adelaide Footy Club. Um, and, and what helps them, as I said, is it's a three-year deal, not a four or a five or a six. Yeah, really interesting, that one. Um, we'll have to see how that plays out. Now, what's the latest with Brendan Gale? We've talked a fair bit about him because he's... Um, almost seen as the as, as next in line for AFL CEO. I was one of the really top uh, AFL execs out there. Yeah, well, he's turned down that offer to work um, under the AFL CEO, um, Andrew Dillon. So he missed out on the AFL CEO role. They went internal, as the AFL's done on a few occasions of late. Um, but they'd created this special role. It was, was it head of footy? Not really. It was like special projects. And we'd work on Tassie and work on a few other, the, the big the big ticket items for the AFL. But it's understandable that he wants to, uh, it's understandable that he's actually knocked that back. He wants to stay at CEO of Richmond, but also that does leave the door open um, for the CEO of the Tassie license. He's a former Tassie boy, been in Melbourne for many, many years, um, probably about 40, 30, 40 years. But um, 
if you could get someone to go and head up a license in Tasmania, he'd be the perfect guy. He understands the landscape. He's obviously a Taswegian at heart. Um, and yeah, who knows? Maybe he's still there, but certainly he's not interested in the role that was created by the ASL for him, uh, by the new CEO. So uh, some interesting stuff around too, Monty, with the ASLW season. Uh, I've been told that the players have been told that the season won't be extended um, beyond the 10 games minor round and four-week final series for now. Um, the revenue that's coming into the game has been really big. It's been really surprising for clubs over the journey of ASLW. A lot of big sponsors. Yeah, I know that we haven't seen sponsors um, like BHP who sponsored the Crows or Santos who sponsored Port Adelaide. A lot of diversity sponsors, people who have got big businesses who aren't necessarily need to be um, advertising in sport are actually advertising in sport because they want to attract females to their workforce. So there's some big money that's coming in. The biggest issue why the game um, won't head forward, uh, there's a couple, is that every team's now got... um, a license, so they're all eighteen teams have got an AFLW team, um, and obviously that that bites away at the talent pool a little bit until that gets established. And as I said, a lot of the planning has been around. Once we've got ten years of games, we will now see the next batch of gun young women coming into AFLW because when it started out, it was a top heavy league. There weren't any grassroots. Now the system, and once you get towards that ten years, so that that young young kid who's three or four has grown up following footy, is now 14. You know what I mean? That was someone who was six is now 16. You know, someone who was eight starting to play under eights and kick footy is now 18. So all of a sudden now that super talent's coming through like it has in the men's for many years and like it has for many journeys. And, and even to a stage of the last 24 hours, someone said that Sam Kerr was uh, open, was AFLW was up and happening then. They doubt she'd actually go to soccer. So that just tells you, because Dad Roger Kerr played at Port Adelaide, played, I think at South Frio in West Coast, and Brother Daniel played at West Coast. So it does say that beyond you know the options, the biggest one that it it has to really help grow the game and it will help it go beyond 10 games and four-week final series is the TV broadcast interest. Um, the numbers have been lagging for a period of time. Uh, it does cost the AFL and the AFL women's competition or the AFL as a whole to put the, put it on and get it broadcast. So I think if they can get the grassroots numbers of interest up, um, then then up and away it goes. AFLW is here to stay. But until, you know, they just need to get that interest. Yeah, they need to get the eyeballs on the TV. They need, you know, clearly they get them getting them at the game. There's good attendance. That's the next piece of the puzzle to keep growing the game. Well, the work's in front of them, Treaders, because... You know, as we talk about this, we've got the Women's World Cup going on and, you know, that has ticked every box in terms of interest, attendance, broadcast, performance. You know, Matildas are now into the quarterfinals after a stunning 2-0 win over Denmark. Uh, it's going to be very interesting for the sport, but but gosh, the uh, this tournament, uh, obviously, it's it's ticking the boxes, but it could could really change the sport and the future of the sport going forward. Yeah, and every time we see a sport do really well, which is, uh, and I don't mean soccer is certainly not a niche sport, but the women's element of the soccer is is growing very much like AFLW. But you know, when you look at AFLW, they picked off basketballers, they picked off soccer players, they picked off other athletes from other sports. Um, so the challenge, particularly, is that you know the our, our women's soccer team have done this off the back of their best player, hardly played any minutes. Um, and it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's, you know, it's a 
Sold, played in front of a sellout crowd of 76,000 uh, people at Stadium Australia. You know, record at FIFA attendance is a 1.367 million. Um, you know, the previous best was 2015 in, Can- in uh, Canada. So the game is spikes off the back of interest like this. It's no different to when basketball, Australian women's basketball team led by Lauren Jackson won the world championship. There is that greater interest when it's now. You know, Ash Barty, tennis, when she won the Australian Open two years ago, people are like, wow, I'm going to pick up tennis racket, young girls. So we bounce off the back of great people's performances. And and this is the big thing that, you know, the Women's World Cup has been a winner on every front. You know, you talk about ticket sales, you talk about TV ratings, you talk about the Matildas going around. Then you look on the other side and go, well, what else happened? Well, the US, which is the best team, the rating champs got belted and, and they're absolutely getting smashed, being called woke by all their own people. You know, some of their arrogance, some of the ads that played about how good they are, and they're going down under to take the trophy home. The the reality is it's a high-performance industry, and like anything, you don't perform, you get out of it pretty quickly. Yeah, it's been a fascinating tournament, and, and looking at the numbers, you know, you mentioned the, you know, pretty close to 1.4 uh, million in attendance, breaking that record. You know, that was counted before uh, last night's match against Denmark with the sellout. They reckon it's going to hit around... 1.9 million so just under 2 million which is which is staggering and I'm genuinely like I think it's moments like this this is this is a real moment for women's soccer and you got all the eyeballs of all the all these kind of emerging young female athletes who are going to be making decisions about do I pursue AFLW do I pursue basketball uh, now they're actually they're, you know they're going to make these decisions to choose soccer or whatever it's a real Real massive moment, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And also, too, we, we, we talk often about government spending big money to get big events. It's been a massive winner. Yep. Yeah, I know it doesn't go into prime time in certain places in the world and sometimes during the day and, and all that, but the rea- or overnight in some parts of the world. Um, but I think it's been absolutely brilliant from an, from an angle of um, putting Australia front and centre of the world. And, you know, I think the government sort of, whoever went and got this major event, went and got this event, because I remember at the time, Women's World Cup, oh, oh wow, cool, I wonder how the big that is, because I'd seen how big the US was and how well they'd done. And then all of a sudden, you're like, wow, this is a massive event. Even driving past Homos last night, the international media at the front doing their stand-up interviews, sending their content back overseas, It's it's been huge. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget netball as well. The uh, Aussie Diamonds have won the Netball World Cup uh, in South Africa. That's the 12th time they've won it, confirming yet again that Australia is the best in the world. And that's despite all of those management problems that netball has faced um, that, we've, that we've talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And we also saw the Super Netball final closer to home, the Australian comp, epic finals, extra time, the good old Adelaide Thunderbirds getting up. Can't not forget uh, that one. We've got to mention that one, certainly. But uh, if they can get their backer house right, um, with some of their sponsorship buddies or where their grand finals are being played and all that sort of stuff or or, or trying to um, not put the netballs in a headlock and say, hey, you want to play for Australia at the World Cup, maybe you've got to sign this CDA first. If they can actually get a bit of decency in terms of how they go about it, then I think um, participation sport, netball's massive, very much like soccer. It is massive for young girls and they've got to embark on that and grab hold of that. And then off the back of it, once you garner the interest, the, the sport will grow. Yeah. It's just such a vital time and it's so unique where we've got all of these sports on show at the moment, uh, you know, with World Cups and, and international competitions where, 
you know, the opportunity's there, but if netball can't get itself sorted out, they're gonna they're gonna lose the next generation. And and also too, look, Monty, look at look at the twelve month soccer's hat. We've got a men's World Cup, we've got a women's World Cup. You know, the only thing that could make it better, the guy's got to have the group stage, which is phenomenal. If the girls win the title, it'll be even better. But, you know, good luck, as you say, with netball. If they don't get their back of, back of house sorted, same two basketball. We're going to get to those topics soon. But all, all those second-tier sports in terms of, you know, broadcasting lot, um, levels, they're, they're all competing for space. And if you can win that space, then, you know, you look at what the A-League did, did that massive deal years ago the A-League on Foxtel and then the game, you know, and Channel 10, and it's fallen away since. Why? Well, it, they need to keep guarding their interests, keep playing as many friendlies as they can to get you know, different uh, countries out to play, and it grows the brand, and it's no different. You know, we're, we're seeing it now with our basketball in the World Cup. Basketball's prepare, preparing for the World Cup. Um, you, know, you know, you look at where things are going. Um, it's on in Japan, the Philippines, Indonesia from August 25. We've got pretty much everyone but Ben, ben Simmons in the team. So, you know, their camps, they focus on their culture in Cairns. Yeah, they've cut it back to 15 players. Practice matches against Venezuela, Brazil, and South Sudan. Like you look at some of the names: Cooks, Daniels, Delavadova, Exum, Giddy, Golding, um, Green, Ingles, Kay, Landau, uh, McDowell, White, Paddy Mills, Reith, is it Thibel, and Jack Wine? Like you look at where it is, and Aussie basketball probably been in as good a space as it is now because, you know, all those sports are played in the NBA. Yeah, it's it's unreal. And you think, you know, we're talking about a range of these sports where we've just got elite athletes and are, like doing really well on a, on a global level. And you just, you got to give full credit to the um, the systems that we have in Australia in terms of the, the pathways that each of these sports have from a, a small country with a small population to be able to, kind of really bring these stars through uh, right to this point where we're really seeing the fruit of all of that effort. I think that does get forgotten, like the the pathways and the systems that have been put in place in Australia. I mean, you'd know better than me, traders. I mean, how good are they? Oh, they're unbelievable. You look at the old days when I was going through schooling system, you you played in footy, it was the tip-top squad in South Australia and the Victorians had their, I think the road safety under 18 or 17 squad it was back then. Anyone who's good at basketball or any other sport, oh, can I get a scholarship to the AIS? Now it's so much bigger than that, you know. And, you know, you, you just look at it and go, well, there's this, this no excuses now for young talent. You know, the opportunity is there if you're good enough. It's not like, oh, we've got no resources. Sorry, Carl, we're not going to play again. There's, there's no Aaron um, Phillips, who was a 16-year-old playing at Smosh West Lakes when I was playing there in the local amateur league footy, got to under 16s and I didn't have a girl, so she had to go and play basketball. You know what I mean? Like, there's none of that now. There's from bottom to top, from from Auskick to start, from, you know, Tiny Tots basketball or whatever it's called or or, um, or some of the little soccer groups all the way through. The, the pathway's brilliant. Um, but the other thing too, like, if we get back onto the, the basketball, Sandy Brondello, who coaches the Opals, you know, it, it doesn't come without its challenges. Yeah, it pretty much said that Liz Cabbage won't be playing too many indiscretions and she's caused too much trouble. So, you know, they're, they're the challenges that sports face once you get to the top levels. But I still think of over everything, culture, if culture's strong, the rest takes care of itself. If it's not strong, then poor behaviours and poor standards and poor performance kick in. And as part of this conversation, I mean, 
funding and resourcing is just essential. And and yes, the government invests and you've got sponsors, but then, you know, you've got someone like uh, a Gina Reinhart, Australia's richest person come in. And we've seen this story, I think it was through the Herald Sun today, that she's tipped in something in the order of $60 million into the uh, Australian Olympics since 2012. And that is a, that makes a real difference because, you know, with Olympic athletes, they, they have such a cycle where, you know, they're, they're raking in some cash when it's close to the Olympics and all those sponsors care and are interested. But then, you know, they've got a, uh, you know, in those early years of the cycle, then funding's really lean and it's, it makes it really tough for these athletes to actually sustain themselves and continue to focus and be able to be full time in their commitment to their sport. So pretty incredible, Treaders, that, that she as, a, as an individual benefactor has been tipping in so much cash to these uh, Australian Olympians. Yeah, what I love about this, first person people are going to say, you go down the pub, they go, well, she could afford it, she could buy a hundred of them. You know what I mean? Like, you know what? But at least she's doing it. Like, how, how many other big business people are actually putting their hard earned where it is? And this lady also too, I don't know Gina Reinhart one bit, but according to the Herald Sun, there's 75 Aussie swimmers and now 50 rowers who receive annual compensation directly from Reinhart. This is not her company. This is out of her own pocket. So after she's paid her tax, she's gone ahead and she's supported it most. She Remember, this is the, also the, the billionaire who went to netball when they're on death's door and said, I'm going to sponsor you $15 million to get you out of the, the black hole, put some money in your coffers and let your game grow. You know what? Then there's certain players that come out and go, oh, no, it's it's bad energy and, and it's, you know, I like green, I want to be green, I want to be do this. You know what I mean? There was a massive play out here and then I think Nepal looks stupid because they go and sign with the Victorian government. Dan Andrews locked down his country, locked down his state and made him more bankrupt than any other state in Australia through the COVID period. So, you know, I think that she's been vindicated. Not that she probably wanted to be but here is someone who comes out puts, pulls their own money out of their pocket to support the game um oh, i love these stories because no one knew about this you know probably the way she's done it no one wanted to know about this probably the way she wanted to do the netball thing that no one knew about this you know what i mean she was happy to do it but she's doing it from the you know no doubt massive into olympic sports she loves to go probably sit the olympics and watch all these people support and um yeah numerous players you know, um, Ariane Titmus has talked about her support. Kyle Chalmers has talked about her support. I think this is wonderful. You know, in Australia, we often clip people because they're tall poppies, but she's putting her money where her mouth is and she's supporting, you know, all these sports that don't necessarily have the flush of cash that comes through from TV broadcast rights. And as you say, Monty, it comes every every four years or potentially every two years, but now we might not have a Commonwealth Games thanks to Dan Andrews. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I think in sport, like you can absolutely make a connection between money and results, particularly with Olympic sports. You don't get the funding. You're highly unlikely to be able to um, get what you need to be able to perform at your best. So I think all credit to, to people like um, like these benefactors who come in and, and support. Now, Treaders, there's also still a lot of fallout from the ashes that continues to play out. Yeah, well, as we saw, um, Ricky Ponting, the former Australian um, cricket captain and superstar, made a call when the ball was changed in the uh, fifth and final ashes match. Um, it looks like they that traded one on the 90th over for one that was about 10 overs old and it started hooping sideways and in Australia ended up losing. So... Um, yeah, there are rumours that they've been made. Uh, yeah, the, the 
the ball may have been from the Infus 2018 series. I'm not sure about that. But the reality is, I think cricket suffered because of it. Yes, the Poms won, but how you can trade an old ball for a new ball and the umpires let it happen is beyond me. But it's funny that the Duke soda, so we use a kookaburra for any um, cricket fan, people who aren't really cricket fans in the Australian summer, we bowl with a kookaburra baseball, you know, manufactured ball. Um, the Duke's ball is the, the, the British ball. Um, so the owner is actually doing his own research into this scandal to see that whether um, his ball was had any issue to do with this because you know, some of them did deteriorate because they were very non-Ashes pitches, as we spoke about on this podcast early days in the Ashes. The first two were played on a, effectively on a park bench on a road. That's how bad they were. Um, but yeah, it's good that maybe they're looking into it. I'd actually rather the ICC look into it and say, how can we be in a situation where what looks like a brand new ball is it replaces a ball that looks like it's been through about 15 days of cricket. But hey, that's cricket. Yeah, well, it certainly changed the game, that's for sure. Now, Treaders, we've also seen uh, yeah, a few interesting selections for the uh, Aussie one-day international and T20 squads for the Tour of South Africa. Yeah, and you talk about taking your opportunity when it happens. Mitch Marsh got put into the test team and dominated, hit a beautiful 100. All of a sudden now, he's been put in as skipper. Marnus Labashane's form's been poor. I think he's averaged at 25. He got dropped. I heard someone say yesterday, well, uh, Davey Warner averaged 25 in the Ashes and he still survived. Um, young, or not so young anyway, but Spencer Johnson, who's um, burst onto the uh, T20 scene with the Brisbane Heat. He's an Adelaide boy, uh, plays for the Sacker in the um, the five or the, the Shield season. So he's come in, Matthew Short, uh, and also Aaron Hardy earning made a national call-up. So it looks like a bit of a changing of guard in um, in the cricket for the uh, Aussie ODI and T20 squads for their tour of South Africa, which is a good thing. Now also, Treaders, ahead of that looming merger between the PGA and the Saudi-backed Live Golf, PGA's brought in a big gun. Yeah, well, there's no bigger. The uh, the Live tried to get him and offered him $800 million US, and he said no. So the man they're talking about is none other than Tiger Woods. He's joined the PGA board. Critical time this is, obviously ahead of the merger. Um, and they want the biggest name in the game, even though he's probably the biggest name player in the game anymore, um, to be on board for these vital negotiations. Because as we know, the announcement's been made, but where's the detail? We haven't seen any of that detail yet. So this will be an interesting period of time to see how to actually come up with one. Are they going to run with... The, um, the the old European tour, the Asian tour, the PGA tour and the Live tour or is Live and PGA going to merge or they going to special events? It's going to be really interesting to see how this goes. Our TV broadcast is going to be merged into it. Who shares the revenue? How it works? Who owns it? Who gets the final seat? Who's got all the board seats? Is it even or are they split? Someone has more power than the other. Who bankrolls it, backs it financially? There'll be a lot more detail to no doubt um, go through and and unpack in, an, in another episode of The Big Deal probably in the next six months once they come to an agreement. Indeed, there's going to be plenty to talk about there. Now, Ange Postacoglu has um, made his first appearance in front of his new home fans, Treaders. Yeah, and he's looked after the his, his captain and best player, Harry Kane, scored a hat-trick in 55 minutes of work against Shakhtar. So we know that Kane wants to... Um, in the last year of a six-year contract, he'll leave as a free transfer. He can't get to Bayern Munich, where he's pushing really hard to get to, but they're just not coughing up the money for Daniel Levy and Tottenham. But, yeah, Edge got a rousing welcome from the fans in his first match at Tottenham uh, Hotspur Stadium. And, you know, effectively, it's a friendly, and it's all in preparation for their season opener, which kicks off pretty soon. So it's going to be interesting to see how he goes, because he's brought some players in, but he hasn't really flashed the cash, so to speak. And you just hope that, you know, 
if he's going to stay true to his word and hold Kane, um, you know, they're probably going to need some reinforcements because they were pretty poor last year in, in, in con- compared to uh, previous years with Tottenham. Um, whereas if, you know, if somehow they, um, Bayern Munich come up with the cash, you've got to leave a massive hole if there isn't an, an ulterior plan um, because we know that the transfer window is still open. Now, the cash is getting splashed as usual in the NBA. We've seen the uh, richest ever annual extension traders. Yeah, they didn't mess around. Um, the LA Lakers, as soon as they were able to, they pretty much got hold of Anthony Davis and said, mate, here you go. We're going to make you, uh, give you the richest ever annual extension with $94 million a year over the next three years. So in total, his new deal runs to 2028, an overall cost of $411 million to the Lakers. So Rich Bolley's manager pretty much uh, sat down with uh, the Lakers and got it done very, very quickly. So, But if you think that's worth any money, how about this one? Michael Jordan's finally completed his biggest ever deal, closing the sale of the Charlotte Hornets. $2.7 billion. Imagine that just roll into your bank account. Put your FaceTime in, put your PIN in. What have I got today in my my freedom savings account? $2.7 billion. <laughs> <laughs> now, Treaders, I didn't have I didn't have this one in our notes, but this is you know how sometimes you see some memes and they live rent-free in your head. Yeah. Like you just think about them all the time. I actually, I think I sent this to you. But it's the best man of the match awards in football. I don't know if you remember me sending this to you. Oh, yes, yes. I'm just going to read them out. And I, I'm going to I'm going to get the pictures added into our um, into our app. A South African footballer got five, gigab- five gigabytes of data as his man of the match award. <laughs> you get a dongle, a little USB dongle, did he? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and then for, for Brentford, Saeed Benrama won Crash, won Crash Bandicoot for Brentford after a uh, Caraval. Monty, Cup this match. is not going to this is not going to work if you laugh every time. <laughs> it's just it's just classic. And then uh, what else you got? This player, Martin Odegaard, got given a fish for winning Player of the Match award at Real Sociedad. Yeah, it's Arsenal. They got, got a fish. That <laughs> He's, Arsenal's paying him about £200,000 a week, but he's got a fish. That's good. A footballer from Ghana got a pair of slides for his Man of the Match award. Slides are pretty yeah, handy. Don't under- don't mind that. Yeah, don't, under- don't underestimate them. They're good. Uh, this Jamaican player got a selection of nuts and crisps for his Man of the Match award, which, you know, I love, I love the snack. Did anyone get a meat pack? You know, the barbecue well, I haven't seen meat the meat pack, pack yet. I've got, a, I've got a couple more. Just bear with me. A Sudanese footballer got given a jug of engine oil as his Man of the Match award, so it uh, could be handy. Um, a football player from Zimbabwe, got a good mate from Zim, uh, got given 24 beers as his Man of the Match award. This is footy club stuff. Love that. So, oh, man, good stuff. we got a you know, all the, the sponsors, you know, sometimes I think it's, it's a bit last minute. They go, oh, not only are you presenting the check, oh, you've got to come up with, you've got to present them with something. All right, you know, I'll bring the jug of engine oil out. That'll do. You know, I, I witnessed this last year. My son played at Henley Sharks Footy Club, or both do, but one plays now, so one gave up for footy. He just played in the bees with his mates, got in the best players. Mate, you should see him run out of the chair to the best players because they put all the awards down. And the captain chicken is the one that they all love because they've got chicken and chips and then they cover them in gravy. It was like 10 buck voucher for best player. 
for that. One bloke accumulated four Captain Chicken Awards. He was happy. He didn't care about the rest oh, of it. Oh, how good is that? Back when I was a kid, it was the McDonald's Award. Yeah. So you'd get you'd get the Junior Burger meal deal. Yeah. But it's amazing that those sort of, yeah, they're probably the big leagues of the comp, you know, the A-League and the AFL and probably milked all the, all the sponsorship money so the kids don't get the vouchers or the super-sized dockets anymore like we used to as a youngster. That's it. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. As always, you can get our notes at www.thebigdeal.au. And we've got a great interview coming up later this week. So make sure you subscribe and stand by for the next one. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.